Big things are happening in minor league baseball, and you better believe they affect independent leagues. We're going to talk about that and much more here on the 39th edition of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, episode number 39. This should be improved audio quality, as apparently I found out last week. We were not doing very good in the audio department. A small hiccup, but now we have the parts needed. That's fixed. And more so than that, we may be actually able to do fun things now. Maybe, and we're back on track. I mean, you know, you get a little off the rails, and then you get right back on track. Exactly. It's important to be on track, it's important to get going, and it's important to stay right on the rails, which is what we're going to do here. we got a bunch of stuff to cover. we got about three different articles, two from the New York Times, one from The Athletic, and then a bunch of minor stories. And depending on time, we'll get to that thing I was talking about last week. I didn't really go into depth about it, but we'll talk about it later if we do get to it, if we don't. Then we need another episode to fill before uh, we get to the Q&A episode, which a quick reminder for those that are planning on submitting questions to it. There is only two weeks before the Q&A episode that will be recorded on December the 6th. So I'll put the deadline on questions that will be accepted at noon on December 6th. So get them in by midday of the 6th of December. It is a Friday. Make sure those get in. Otherwise, they will not get answered in this Q&A episode. Already, we're doing pretty good. We got about, what would you say, about 15 questions or yeah, so? Yeah, about 15, 16 questions. So we're we're in good shape with them. But the more the the more the questions, uh, the better they are, the, the longer these episodes are going to be. Exactly. The better, the more questions, the better, as we then have the luxury of being able to spend the appropriate amount of time on each one. Because, frankly, some of the questions, they're pretty quick to pretty straightforward answers. They're not going to be long, drawn-out, five-minute answers. So, you know, if you run through... A third of your questions in about five minutes, you know, you're going to be running short. So, Yeah, we don't want to be running short, so get those questions in. The more questions we'll have, I think there'll be a fantastic show, and I think we'll really uh, be able to interact with some of the people who listen to us and understand what they want to have answered, and those questions will be uh, really good for us to get a sense of where to go in the future as well. Exactly. Interaction is key. And like I said, it's the off season, so now is the perfect time to attempt to do these things because the more you attempt to do it, the more you see what works, what doesn't work, what you guys like, what you guys don't like, and we can definitely go from there because like I said, it's going to be a long winter. We really won't have a lot of high-quality on-the-field baseball content until probably April or so. Yeah. So until then, we got some stuff planned, but the more stuff you guys want to see, the better, the more we can kind of go with that. Now that we've spent uh, plenty of time on this whole little preamble bit, why don't we jump right into the New York Times article, and then we will go to The Athletic and kind of go from there. Earlier this week, the New York Times released a couple of articles all about this whole uh, reduction of the minor leagues. This is something that happened way back. It started with Baseball America reporting that Major League Baseball is planning to cut supposedly 42 different teams, all lower levels. I think the highest teams are uh, like double-A there's only a handful of double-A teams there. It's mostly single-A ball, advanced-A ball, rookie league ball, teams like that. Teams that are in, uh, like, Helena, Montana, or Burlington, Vermont, um, I believe. The West Virginia Power are another team that's on the chopping block, both in Utah. Uh, Binghamton Rumble Ponies are on that block. Yep. A uh, bunch of teams like that. 
uh, the full list we put up before. I believe I tweeted that out earlier in the week as well. So you can shoot over to our Twitter, Indie Ball Pond. Take a look at the list there. If you just look at our media list, if not, you can definitely just find it with a quick, easy Google search. So we won't go into too much depth about the specific teams here. Right. However, uh, the Times did publish a couple of pieces kind of explaining the thought process of uh, Major League Baseball as well as what this would entail for the individuals. So we had more of a fact-based bit showing MILB's perspective on kind of the Major League take. And then we also had how it's going to affect some of these uh, smaller teams, smaller markets. So, yeah. yeah, I think it'll affect those smaller markets. I think it'll be a, an interesting thing uh, in terms of how we look at these teams. Uh, it'll be really sad for some of these markets that, that do lose these teams. You know, Binghamton Rumble Ponies, uh, you know, you know, the Erie Seawolves were on there yep, as well. Yeah, Erie was on there too. So you've got these, uh, you know, kind of high profile minor league teams, some mm-hmm. of them, and some of them are low profile. Uh, but, you know, either way, these teams will be losing uh, could potentially yeah. uh, be losing their um, their teams. These towns could be potentially losing their teams, and that's a, a sad thing no matter what it will do. And I think there's a – obviously, it kind of makes sense. We do have a huge – the MLB does have a huge, expansive uh, MLIB, uh, you know, kind of teams. They yeah. have a lot of them, and there's a lot of them, and not a lot of the guys that are on those rosters are making it to the big leagues. And so it does make sense to downsize it a little bit perhaps from an economic perspective, potentially uh, also because the game isn't really growing, yeah. right? So – I think that's part of the reason that you're seeing this, but I think it does allow actually an opportunity for the independent leagues to come in and snag some really high-level facilities uh, if they were so willing to do so. Yeah, and we're going to kind of jump now into the specifics about this, why this move is being made and everything like that. Uh, Manfred talked to, I believe it was Newsday, but CBS reported the four reasons why uh, specifically he's in favor of this and wants to get this kind of thing done. The first was inadequate facilities. They say that the facilities there aren't up to the major league standard. Now, the important thing to note is with a lot of these clubs, they're independently owned and operated. However, their roster comes from Major League Baseball and they will pay for that. However, let's say you're the Fort Myer Miracle. You're a single-A affiliate of the Twins. The Twins come down, they look at the facility, probably during spring training, and they go, uh, we want you to have a a bit of a better exercise room. There's not enough machines here. There's only free weights. We'd like you to get some, you know, some more equipment. That's on the owner of the team to go out and buy the equipment and put it in there. It's also on the owner of the team to run the whole stadium, everything like that. So basically, they're like independent league teams in the sense that they run their own show. Only thing that really separates them is these teams can use the major league branding. They get the prospects from these major league teams which, while a lot of the single-A teams are not really seeing the high-name guys, they're mostly the double-A and up, we're going to see that. That's still a major plus for them, plus they don't have to pay the roster of this. Um, which gets us to our second point, uh, the poor play for the minor league players. Most of these guys are not making much money. Uh, they're making more than independent leagues, but not by terribly much. Uh, you're still not really at what uh, most would call a livable wage. No. <laughs> However, this point... From Manfred, I got to contest it by saying, you're going to tell me that the $32 billion teams that exist are $30 billion teams. My mistake, there's not 32 yet. You're telling me that these 30 teams that are all worth over a billion dollars cannot afford 
to pay these guys more money? A little bit. Uh, like a 10% increase? You're telling me that's not possible? It's like you have a roster. Like the teams you're cutting, most of the rosters make maybe 30000 a year. You're going to tell me you can't double their salaries? At best, that's disingenuous. It's, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not in agreement with that one. Uh, another point, which is something you had brought up, uh, the low-level talent, as they said. These splits, uh, uh, these are guys that don't have the talent or will not have the chance to even sniff the major league. Is a harsh way of putting it. However, it is to an extent factual. Most of those guys are not going to be major league players. It's just a yeah. fact. The final thing was he said that the travel is untenable. So I guess I'll go point by point, right? Yeah. So the the kind of the the first point is restate that one. Well, the first point the first is, point they said was uh, inadequate facilities and just a quick tack onto the travel as well. And they also want the the affiliates to be closer to the parent club. So right. like right now the Washington AAA farm team, which is where most of their calls are going to be from, is out in California. It's in Fresno. Yeah. So obviously going cross country on short notice is not great. I know when the Mets had their AAA team in Las Vegas, it really was. Quite terrible. A, yeah. it was very hard to develop guys in a Las Vegas altitude and then have them adjust to playing in Queens. Yeah. So it's not really great there from that perspective. Plus, it's harder for a pitcher to develop in what's essentially a BAM box in that atmosphere. Also, it's just very difficult to get guys out there. You'd see guys get called up from Double A because that's only in Binghamton. It's a lot closer. Right. And so, to, so I'll go to the. I guess I'll start with that one, right? With yeah. the with the the travel. Yeah. So and and the location. So that makes sense. Hmm. So there are certain teams. That might need to be readjusted, right? Certain organizations, MLB organizations, can decide if their AAA team is not close enough to where they are, they can decide to, to scrap that. If it's not working for them, they can individually decide to change where their AAA or AA team is. Yeah. There is no need for the MLB to, with a sweeping regulatory change, say, okay, let's, let's kind of cut these teams. They're, they're, they're no longer necessities in their communities. And also it just shows how little Manfred really cares about these communities. Oh yeah, no, no. He's tossing these things aside. And Zero the thing is, disregard. minor league baseball as a whole has been growing. That's Absolutely. the thing. Yeah. Like that, like Major League Baseball is going down. I it think is. that's largely a cost factor. However, by and large, they're not, minor leagues are doing very well. They are. And as we've seen, I mean, minor league baseball is doing well. And I just think that what's going on with, what's going on here is one, so back to the facilities. I mean, that's just not true for a lot of these parks. They might not be MLB standard facilities but they are really nice facilities and they I mean, do some the of best them are, they can sure yeah. some of them i'm sure some of them are not up to the standard hmm. but if you're not going to give them money to make those adjustments you cannot blame them and say well you know you should have those adjustments that should be on the mlb team to say we're going to give you you know 30 40 50 thousand dollars to make the implement the things that need to be implemented at the same time i what i'm confused is because one of the teams list is the williamsport crosscutters which their stadium now has become every year the site of one major league game, the Little League Classic they're playing there. If it's so terrible that um, that prospects can't develop there, you said one of the 162 games a year that we play, we can afford to play in a terrible arena. It's ridiculous. It just shows how ludicrous this argument is. That and you, you look at some of them. Some of them, I suppose, make sense. I don't imagine there's terribly many people in Princeton, West Virginia, that are running out to a baseball game. I can't imagine that. Uh, Two teams in Utah are doing wonderful. I, some of them, I, I mean, can, we don't some know. Of them, some yeah. of them, I can, no, I mean, they're Billings, Montana. Also, I can get those. Those ones, I could understand. So you're, the but, Billi- uh, the Billings Mustangs are on the chop block. Yeah, uh, but the teams I can't understand are ones that are in 
that are in highly populated areas. Like, Staten Island Yankees are on that list. That doesn't seem to make much sense to me there. Doesn't make too much sense, yeah. Uh, Frederick Keys, again, another team that seems to be fine. Chattanooga, that's been around for over 100 years. Yeah. That one, again, doesn't make much sense, which that would be a wonderful location for an indie team to go into. Oh, yeah. uh, Connecticut Tigers. Um, let's see, some other teams, Lexington, Kentucky, again, seems like a big enough area yeah. that could work. Quad City, again, another area which is right by Des Moines, it can work. See, but I, I don't think it has very much to do with in terms of, I really don't think they're looking at this in terms of attendance or in terms of, well, I mean, you it, know, teams. I think they're primarily looking at these teams and going, which teams have the facility, have the money to change their facilities and make it, you know, kind of posh and elite so that our talent can go uh, kind of get developed there in this way. I agree with that, and that's what they're saying, but at the same time, you get that money from people coming in. So right. it, it has an effect, is It my does point. have an effect, there's no doubt, but that doesn't mean that a team that's not... I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of teams on that aren't on there that aren't pulling great either, uh, yeah. that, that aren't the most in the most high-populated areas, and it doesn't mean that it's necessarily... The way that we measure... Uh, you know, people in attendance per game should be decided upon, you know, if, it, if it's working within the league. So if it's in the Eastern League, how many, you know, people is the average attendance in the Eastern League? And if you're taking a team that's like, you know, average or just below average attendance in one of these leagues and you're saying, well, you know, it's because of attendance or because of, you know, facilities and it's all this kind of the same. Yeah, you mean, I mean, I'm sure there are teams on that list of, what is it, 42? Yeah, about 42. 42, that is egregious. I mean, I'm sure they are egregiously bad. And mm. then, okay, fine, right? But it, the, you're not going to tell me that 42 teams have terrible facilities and should absolutely get rid of their team. You're just yeah. not going to tell me that. I think really what their goal is when I think about it is they see new markets and new ballparks like Hartford. They see what's going to come in uh, Worcester soon. They're going to see... A lot of these brand new ballparks are being built. Now, Fresco, Texas is another one that has a beautiful ballpark. A lot of these newer construction type things, really nice type of ballparks. And I think they look at that compared to like your traditional, what you think of a minor league ballpark. And they go, "Ah, I'm not really a huge fan of it. They're not really that great. I mean, I've, what I'm, I'm kind of surprised is if you also look where they're at, there's a handful of them that are in these giant like areas, and I gotta think that they did have some bias in picking where they are. Because if you look at the main places that got hit, it's like Utah, Tennessee, Montana. You didn't really see too many. I mean, New York lost a couple, but most of them are upstate New York, like Batvia, which Batvia is one of those places where it's like, ah, that's a Canaan ballpark. And it's one of those where it's like, you're on Yogi Berra level. That's not great. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, that's different. Yeah, right. But when you get rid of, but you don't see Brooklyn on there, which I can't imagine Brooklyn's that great of a facility. Just from the fan experience, it was so-so. Right. Uh, Staten Island's a bit surprised to be on there. But again, if the Yankees own that, I would be inclined to think they don't, though, because they own Tampa Yankees. They own the, the Tarpons. Well, yeah, I think they own the Tarpons now, yeah. Yeah, which is lower, and it would make sense that they own that because spring training is there. Right, yeah. But I'm surprised they, they weren't in the boss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, um, whatever it is, uh, George Steinbrenner stadium, stadium there. down there. Yeah. yeah. Which then would be surprised me that they don't own Staten Island, which is closer to them, which you may need, even though you have Wilkes-Barre Scranton over there. It's like it, just the odd, the teams I don't necessarily agree with. That's the thing. Like you have these very, these markets aren't great. And then you see in the second article here, which we'll get to in just a second, 
you're going to see a lot of these guys saying, look, these markets can't survive unaffiliated. Just straight up. They don't have enough people to exist outside of that. And to try and get us back onto the point of the article here, it's you're really putting these teams in where you're not they're not gonna survive. Like there's certain markets that can make it. And if you look at where independent league baseball is, they're either major cities or very densely populated areas. There's a reason New Jersey has what, three, four in there. There's a reason why Rockland's just over the border from New Jersey, still in a very highly populated county. Yep. There's a reason why Long Island has a team. There's a reason why just outside of Houston there's a team. There's a reason why in High Point, North Carolina, a very growing area has a team. There's a reason why Winnipeg has a team. Evansville, Indiana has a team. Where these major kind of cities are for at least the region, or a lot of people are at, can afford and keep these teams. But you're not going to keep a team in, you know, Missoula, Montana. That's just something that's not going to exist. It can't survive. I mean, I, I can't say that I I know the uh, the regions well enough, right? I mean, so it's it's hard to it's hard for me to s- sit here and say like you know, oh, I, I like I've been to Montana and know how many people go to the ballpark. I mean, so we can go by densely populated area and and stigma in these things. So we could talk about that. Um, but I think it's 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 hard to say. Uh, un- undeniably that a-, a team won't work in a specific region but I think your point is solid that there are specific regions that well, it's just not going to happen. That was specifically for someone that's worked both indie ball and affiliated where he said I've yeah. worked this before I have over 20 years of experience and I can tell you outright these markets will not survive. Right and, and certainly there are un- undoubtedly specific regions that, that it makes sense to not not have teams in because they just won't work. Yeah. Right. Especially as indie ball where you're all on your own. Yeah. Uh, so that makes that makes sense to me. Um, I don't want to name specific ones because I don't know uh, specific regions well enough to say arbitrarily say okay. Well, I know. think Montana is a pretty safe one to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know populations in Missoula. I know it's a big city. It's got a it's got a university in it. University of Montana is there and things like that. So I don't know, you know, Billings and these places. I don't know what the population is. I'm I, actually curious to see what the population of Missoula is. I'm I, gonna I, look just, that up is there quick. is there actually one of the teams in, yeah. in Missoula? So yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I like I I think it'd be interesting Missoula, to see. Montana. There we go. You know when when that uh you know that that occurs, but uh, uh, but population seventy three hundred. So really are. Well, not seventy three hundred, seventy three thousand. My mistake. Even still, though, you know, nah. seventy three thousand isn't isn't a ton of people for you know an independent league team. I, I, I again, I just think it's you know he you have people with twenty years yeah. experience who are saying that these markets won't work, and I think that's fair uh, because independent leagues is a difficult game, as mm. we've seen. You know, New Britain is not an unpopulated area, and yeah. you know they didn't work. So yeah. I mean, it's it's there's a lot to to be thought about there, but. Yeah. Just as a comparison, Sugarland, Texas has about eighty-eight thousand people in it, so there's about fifteen thousand person difference there. Yeah, so that's—I mean, that's not. And Sugarland, if you're there, may not be the best comparison because they're probably the best facility in. Right. But, absolutely. But and we don't. Still, I, we have no idea about the facility in Missoula. I, but at the same time, it's just the impression that I I kind of get is that they really. They only want the new ballparks. They don't right. want the old ones. Absolutely. And I think it's that, and I think you're right in that it's in these weird areas. I mean, yeah. it's in the, weird is the wrong term, but it's in these areas that are not as densely populated and don't have as high attendance. 
And to say that, then, like you're saying, then there's no way that you're going to be able to, you know, have the same eyeballs on this prospect. Um, it's going to be hard if you want to move that prospect. It's difficult for scouts to get there to these places. So I understand the MLB's argument, but it's also very much showing that they, how little they actually care about these clubs in these places. Hmm. It's very much just, you know. Yeah, and from what I can gather here, at least for using Missoula, because apparently we've, we've made that decision now, we're going to use Missoula. We're going to use it, yeah. Record attendance was set in 2017. Uh, that was about 5,000 that was in attendance for that particular game. However, the capacity is 3,500, and it was built in 2004. It opened. 35,000 or 3,500? 35, so they were... 3,500. Right, so they were... How were they at 5,000? I don't know. That's how their record attendance was. Uh, you can go overflow sometimes. Sure, yeah. So, there's that. Um, and let's see. So that yeah. makes sense as to, you know. I don't, I don't know exactly how they managed to get that, because then, yeah, they've had over 4,000 a couple times, but even still, I'm not really sure, unless they don't count grass seating as an actual seat. Maybe, yeah. That, that'd be my guess, but I don't, I don't really know. Uh, although they did have Mumford and Sons perform there this summer. Well, there you go. So see. Biggest name since Steve Martin was there. Well, it's good enough for Mumford and Sons, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, they, it's a fairly new ballpark and whatnot, but I, I'm going to assume that there's a reason why they say the facilities aren't up to snuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of these parts, parks where that's not necessarily the case where they say the facilities aren't up to snuff. I mean, I, I, like, I'm not talking about that one in particular. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying like Staten Island is not a bad ballpark. I mean, I've, I've been before. It's not a bad ballpark. Mm. Um, you know, I haven't been recently, but yeah. you know, it's not a bad ballpark. So, I yeah. mean, there's, there's places where, you know, I, I question the MLB's motives a little bit, uh, on this. Exactly. It's just very odd there. Any case, the get, jump back onto the article now. Uh, some of these teams could be reformed into a dream league, which would be basically an independent league. They'd be jointly owned between the actual team ownership and Major League Baseball, which I'm not really sure how that would work. There's really not much information on the dream league and in its entirety here. In any case, the, another change that was proposed was a 20-round draft. Now, how this affects independent league baseball is there's going to be a lot more independent league players. If you're coming down to only 20 rounds in a draft that now goes what, 40, 50, 60 rounds? I'm not really sure the exact number that they're at, but I do know there is a lot of rounds in the in the uh, baseball draft. Also, with these teams being eliminated, about 1,400 players will be out of a job. So it's going to be a lot more competition for these independent league rosters. So I suppose to get back onto indie ball as a whole, you're going to see a lot more players come into independent league ball, and you're going to see... A lot of things change with it. I wonder if you're going to see more roster rules similar to what the Frontier League had, where you can now keep a younger roster and not really lose any drop-off in talent here, generally speaking. I wonder if you're going to just see a higher quality of player come through now that would have otherwise been drafted. Or how different is like a 15th rounder from a 20th rounder, from a 50th rounder, from an undrafted player? I mean, it's it's really odd because a lot of those guys, I'm sure, would have filtered their way in anyway. You're just getting them younger, right? I mean, absolutely. I think that it's. I think you will get more talent, or at least bigger name talent, oh, yeah, quote no. unquote. Uh, guys are going to filter through now, right? Filter through. But I think for the indie leagues, what, what is most interesting about this is that if they can go in, if it, like a, a frontier league or even a um, an Atlantic league, could come in and 
you know, snatch a couple of organizations, hmm. uh, a couple of those places that are leaving, a couple of teams yep. that are leaving. I uh, could snatch a couple of those up, like we're saying, in these bigger, more populated yep. markets. Chattanooga. Yeah, Chattanooga, Staten, Staten Island, maybe not Missoula. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Missoula. Um, but, you know, so maybe that those two places could really, you know, do something like that. And, uh, you know, you can have those leagues kind of jump into those teams. And then, like you're saying, I think you'll get more big name you know, yeah. larger name, you know, college collegiate players who really might have made a, an, an, know, impact. an impact. They would have had a they would have had a moment or something. A there. moment yeah. in something in, in like a double A, and they maybe shot up to a triple A or something. But now mm-hmm. they'll be in these independent leagues, and I don't think that I think that's a great thing for independent league baseball. Yeah. But will will change the landscape definitely, like you're saying. The one concern I do have here is if you're going to have less. You know, levels to go through. Figure you, most teams are going to streamline to triple A, double A, single A. No more of this high A, no this short season A, nothing like that. How likely, and with less prospects and players, is this going to affect the actual purchasing of contracts here? Because I'm, I got to imagine now, if you have less spots for players, you're going to move guys that would have been in high A up to double A now. How is that going to affect the guys like, say, a Dante Bichette? Now, granted, Dante did a great job and he continued to do a great job in Harrisburg. Would a team be likely to go, we'll give him a shot, he's doing well here? Or would they go, we kind of got our limit on players here. We might as well promote the 22-year-old kid we have and see if they can hang. And if not, then that spot's available for someone else. That's going to be a concern of mine. Yeah, I think that's a very valid concern. I don't think you're going to see anywhere near the same level of guys leaving from the Atlantic League and the frontier, the new Frontier League. You're not going to see the same level of guys leaving because it's just not going to happen as much. There's not going to be as much room to put them in organizations. And like you're saying, I'd rather give you know the guy who's a uh, you know 22 year old on my single A roster a chance to fill this double A position. Then you know, promote somebody from the indie, purchase a contract from the indie ball league. I just don't think it would would happen as much, and it it really would hurt kind of the autonomy of these players and their ability to move from one spot to the other and try to continue to grow their careers. I know that if the contract purchasing goes down, it kind of defeats the purpose of independent league baseball in a sense. Yeah, because I mean. Really, it's a second chance league or more of a last chance league when you get down to it, which is discussed in the athletic article. We'll get to that later on. It, it very much is, you look, you ran out of chances elsewhere. You can't get to a foreign league. You're not an affiliated ball. You want to still play. You need to play against high level competition so that way you have meaningful, you know, tape to show to scouts and have stats to throw the scouts and, you know, have something to market yourself on. And if you're not having contracts purchased anymore, it's kind of like, well, then why am I here if I'm going to be just staking, like staying here, playing here on the off chance that I'm one of the like three or five guys from this organization that will wind up, you know, moving on to affiliated ball or to the to the foreign leagues. Or maybe this is just a, a huge win now for the Mexican and Korean leagues that are going to be able to go, oh, cool, we have less competition in signing this because now the organizations aren't going to be going for it. And where guys may have been holding out before saying, ah, maybe I could get a double A assignment and I'm in a system or, and I'm still in the U S and you know, I can move up. I'm going to back burner the offer to go play either Korea or go play in Taiwan or go play in Mexico. Now they're going to be probably more likely to go, ah, my odds of getting that affiliated contract just went down a whole lot. Maybe I should be thinking real seriously about going to play in, in Mexico. Yeah. 
I think that's a valid concern. I think that's something that you'll have to see happen and see how it plays out because from my vantage point right now, what I'm thinking is going to happen is kind of what you're saying that other teams in the independent leagues are going to be very, uh, you know, going to be valued less, right? Particularly this new frontier league because it doesn't have, I think the Atlantic league will be okay for one reason and one reason alone. They do have that relationship with major league baseball. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as that relationship's in place, there's going to be some kind of jockeying. I mean, as we've seen mm-hmm. last season, it was crazy how many guys were oh, yeah. flying at a, uh, you know, multiple Atlantic teams with multiple player, like double digit players going in and out. It was, it was more than we've ever seen. And that's, I think as direct result of that uh, deal with Major League Baseball, that partnership. So as long as that's still in place, the Atlantic League will always get priority and it could hurt the Frontier League, the American Association, and other independent leagues. So I think that's something to be careful of and watch as we kind of go forward with this, if this actually does occur, which who knows if it will or not. I think, you know, it might uh, from the way that Manfred's talking about it, but... Yeah, no, that's definitely a concern there. But those are the main points of the first Times article. The second one was really just a reflective with a lot of these guys, which we really covered pretty in depth when they were saying, look, if we lose the affiliation, we really don't know what we're going to do. We don't have the confidence to survive. We really think that the players are what is drawing these people out to the ballpark, which 50-50 agree on that. I think the team being there is a factor. However, I'm sure for a, a decent number of people to maybe even a lot of people, the guys on the field are a bit of a motivating factor. If you see, you know, if you're seeing Freddie Freeman tonight on a rehab stint, that means, okay, time to go. If Todd Frazier is in Brooklyn, time to go up to Brooklyn and see Todd Frazier. If, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. is coming through town this week, I'm going to make a point to go there and, and see him. Like, there's going to be enough players where it's like, yep, I want to go see that. And there's enough fanatics of baseball, more so you know, Major League Baseball. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's without saying, that are so into just the prospects and the up-and-coming and just looking at the future of baseball and how exciting it is to see these 18-, 19-year-old, 20-year-old kids play that they go, oh, this kid's playing? Oh, I got to go see him. And sure, the general public may not know, and I suppose that's not really a major concern. These smaller fanatics aren't the concern. I do think the roster does play into it, but I'm not sure how much it is. I'm not sure how much a family of four is going, oh boy, we're going to get to see the number 15 prospect in the twin system today play the number three pitcher in the angel system today. We need to make a point of getting out to the game. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a fair statement to to make. I think, like you're saying, that there's definitely some people who would say, you know, I really want to go see this prospect, this, you know, 13th prospect in the twin system today. But a lot of it, like you're saying, is families wanting to go have clean entertainment and, you know, kind of clean fun. And I think a lot of that is why independent leagues flourish. Uh, And that's why minor league baseball flourishes, because so many people are just interested in going to see some baseball. And they don't really, you know, some people don't even like pay attention to to what's going on on the field a lot of times. It's more of just going there for the experience. And, and because it's also part of the community. So, yeah. oh, people from my, my work are going. I mean, you know, this happens all the time yeah. in our location with, like, the Somerset Patriots. Or oh, yeah, the you day know, games are a huge draw. Huge draw. People in my work are going. People in my, you know, college, yeah. my high school, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yep, it's an outing day. The kids are going to go there for the camp days. Absolutely. All these things. So, I mean, they become an integral part of the community. And this is kind of my, my larger point is that it, it's sad to see this happen and it, 
to for mm-hmm. Manfred to kind of be pushing for this many teams because 42 teams is a lot. Yeah. Right, if he was going to say 10, 15 teams, you'd be sad about it, but that's a pragmatic. He's eliminating leagues. He's eliminating entire leagues. And so to me, that is a change that is proposed that is going to really reshape Hmm. Uh, minor league baseball and really hurt these communities and yeah. these fans because also now you got to figure they're taking on the most expensive thing and playing the roster even if you're just saying you're paying them even let's say, call it two grand a month which really isn't that much but even you want to say two grand a month from may through september we'll call it what is that about five months or so four months yeah something like that so we'll call it five months ten grand ahead uh, on a tw- and it doesn't matter if you're paying ten grand to the same guy or a different guy, it's still ten grand out of your pocket at the end of the day. So you're looking at a good chunk of money there at about figure what are they? About twenty three man rosters? Yeah, it's probably like twenty three man rosters and <laughs> at ten grand a piece. That's expensive. It adds up real quick, especially when you don't have those draw players coming in. It limits also now what you because you gotta steal from somewhere else in your department, you can't put as much into promotion then you can't put as much into the quality of concessions and merchandise anymore. You also don't have any major league branding anymore unless you're the Atlantic League, but they don't really beat you over the head with it. Right. You can't really draw from anything. There's no real... You're really put into a difficult position, arguably worse than, say, like a Gastona will be in when they join. Because the Gastona gets a clean slate. They don't get to pretend like, oh, yeah, no, it's all the same thing now, affiliate from independent. They get to embrace that... We're an independent team identity. We are playing against a rival. This is all its own league. Yeah, we're not going to have the high quality, you know, number three in all of baseball prospect coming through town. But we don't need that. That's not what we're about. You can embrace that kind of mentality. I mean, you've seen it with Somerset. You've seen it with Long Island. You've seen it with Sugarland. You've seen it with a lot of these different areas. They embrace that mentality and and it works for them. But now for these teams that are going to have to make that transition, it's going to be a hard sell. I mean, look at New Britain. They had to try and make that transition, and granted, there was a lot of other outside factors, but that transition was just never really made. You can look at other areas that lost teams. They typically didn't really, you know, Ottawa, another example of it. The multiple attempts at it didn't work out, so... Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're just not going to have the same level of interest because you don't have the same product on the field. Exactly. It's hard. People like what they're used to. And when you just change it on and go, hey, look, it's still baseball. Not everyone bites on that. Right. And like you're saying, the clean slate is really, really good, right? In Gastonia, you have got this really clean slate. They could come in. They can do all these things with it. They can really kind of work themselves into the community. But the communities are, are so used to this for so long these affiliated clubs and now they're going to be losing them and it'll feel like something is lost i really do believe it'll feel like something is lost uh the athletic article was basically a look into the sugarland clubhouse it kind of gives you a behind the scenes look at all of it uh focused mainly on chris caramucci and uh pete and coglia it talked about how they're kind of independent league lifers and the differences between affiliated ball from a staff's perspective from a uh, uh independent league team where and with independent league, you kind of expect you run the team. Everything is your own decision. Affiliated ball, you have people that come down, watch one weekend of baseball, and then tell you how you should run your team without really knowing anything and just going, well, this prospect needs to hit his milestone, so you're going to promote him anyway. You're going to play him like this anyway. You're being told a lot what to do. You're not really a manager. You're more of a facilitator, if anything, which is very interesting. It also kind of talked about the mentality of a lot of these guys that wind up in independent league baseball, how they're going... I'm in independent league baseball, 
has its like this crushing reality and then how you have more veterans and whatnot come by and they you kind of like yeah and if you don't want to be here play better figure it out i mean it's a really interesting article and really well written i know the athletic is behind a paywall but if you download the app you get three free stories a month so if you got a phone and you want to read the article it's definitely worth it uh so i i definitely uh, splurge on it which the athletic is great at reporting anyway so it's worth it yeah, I think that article is a, is a really interesting one. Uh, I had the opportunity to read a little bit of it myself, and I, I think that w- what is really, really apparent in, in the article is that there's such a dif- distinct difference between the two lives you lead, both as a player, mm-hmm. as a manager, as part of the front office staff, mm-hmm. either in affiliated ball and independent league ball. And that's another part of this that we haven't really touched upon is all the staff that are going to be lost from these teams. Oh, yeah, the front office staff. They're just going to be screwed, too. I mean, they're going to get cleaned out. I mean, they're just going to get cleaned out because even if it's an independent league team, you probably only need about half the people to run an independent league team. You probably can only afford about a third of the people. Yeah, need is is, is not the term. It's, it's can only afford about a third of the people. Especially when you're paying more players. Especially when you're paying players and more players, exactly. Yeah. So I think that what you're saying here is, is making a lot of sense, and this article really does highlight how difficult it is to be in the independent leagues um, but also how freeing it is because you don't necessarily have to do things especially if you're a manager you don't have to do things by the the big clubs uh kind of hand right that the organizational hand you can kind of work your own uh magic uh so to speak on the field so i I really think that that shows you know how managers like bobby jones in uh um, sussex county how good how good he is. I mean, oh my goodness. I know, yeah. I mean, basically it's him and uh, Fiorella that assemble that roster. Yeah. I mean, I mean having oof. a GM is, you know, that's an extra step that some teams don't have. I mean, yeah. a lot of guys just go to your manager. Oh yeah, you're also a GM. Have fun with it. You know, yeah. <laughs> the president will take care of all the kind of non-player transactional things. You're in charge of the whole player transaction thing. You know, the stuff that the general public goes, oh, GM, they put together the roster, they do the recruiting and the scouting. That's what they do. They don't really look at the whole... Yeah, they also crunch all the numbers and figure out everything in the ballpark. They manage the facility as well, too. So that's something that not a lot of people realize about it. So yeah. they just delegate that to the team president and go, yep, this is how it's working. But yeah, no, with guys like Incaglia and whatnot, they they basically have two guys to answer to. Their team president and the owner. As opposed to having their GM of the club, the president of the club, the same positions everywhere up higher... And everything else under the sun. It is definitely the freeing thing. And I, I definitely like that. And I also liked how, you know, it's not one of those pieces that kind of kicks in the balls. It's like terrible thing where it's like, this is just where you wind up in. Although they do definitely show that as the player perspective, that's your mentality when you get there. It, it shows it more as, look, it's this opportunity. It's really what it is. It's an opportunity to assemble the team you want, to play your way on to where you want to be. And... Really, I think that was the main point of it. Just kind of paints it as a wonderful opportunity. It, it is a wonderful opportunity, and it's why we're so passionate about it. And we've been talking about it for months and really years going back now. Yep. But I, I think that is what our draw to it is as well. Is that it? You know, speaking only for myself at the least, is that you know the this opportunity is so alluring to us because you have this these guys with this one last shot and their backs against the wall can they really fight their way out of it and move up or at least make themselves successful in this league um mm-hmm. if they have uh, you know in, been unable to do so or it's the last chance for a couple of these veterans to have you know a swan song before their career ends and so i think you get a really interesting player perspective and you just get to meet so many incredible people that make up the indie ball community 
so with that, we'll move on now to another thing because we've really kind of beaten the, the articles to death. It'll be a major thing we're covering kind of throughout the uh, offseason as there's not really too much else happening in the offseason. As you're going to kind of see with these other stories, I, I kind of loaded the front end with them with ones that were more interesting, more relevant. And then they kind of trail off as we go along here. But in like the last 20 minutes or so of the show, let's kind of try and hit them all. Thursday, we have the new manager for Florence, the to be determined as they are right now. They're not the freedom anymore as they're renaming the team. We still don't know the finalists for that. We still don't have a final vote for that, nor do we have a date that we'll know the name of the team, but I'd assume before opening day we'll know. Uh, as we know, Dennis Pelfrey got hired by the Giants to be their single-A manager in San Jose. So, Brian White will be taking over the reins. He is the, or was the pitching coach and catching coach for the team for the past five years since 2015. And he's moved 10 guys to the uh, major league system in that time span. Uh, he's a fairly young guy. He's 29 years old. He actually played in the ball for the United League however short-lived that was, and uh, yeah, no, he seems like a pretty competent guy, solid solid manager, he's obviously been on the staff with Pelfrey, so he knows something or, or other about being a manager, and I mean, he's I, I like it, I like having the kind of younger guy, he has some experience coaching, I think he's able to relate to the guys, and by and large, I, I don't got any qualms with him. Yeah, I don't have any qualms with it either. I think, like you're saying, he's experienced enough, but he's also young enough to be able to mm. kind of connect to the players and really make sure that their experience is the best that they can have. As we've talked about, you know, the last first half of the show was how important uh, it is to kind of reshape the player mindset once you get into these these leagues. So, I mean, I think he's the perfect guy to do it, having played in the indie ball league himself, however short-lived it was. Yeah, so that... That's really all there is to say about Brian White. He has the experience. He has the potential to really be a good coach, I think. And it'll be interesting to see how Florence looks this year, especially now that they have uh, a couple extra spots to play with. They get more kind of roster exemption spots. They get less rookie spots they have to dull out. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how those teams construct their roster. Absolutely. Uh, next thing up, uh, announced this week, the Sioux City All-Decade Team. So what Sioux City did, or what they have been doing, is at the end of a decade, which is what we're at, hard to believe, that uh, they'll announce their basically their top nine and pitchers for for guys that played for them in the past decade. Team goes as follows: catcher Dylan Kelly. He played he played for the team from 2017 to 2019. I could be back again, but you know we only know up to 19. Right. Uh, first base Kent Sakamoto, 2010-2011. Familiar name for a lot of the indie ball fans out there. Second base, Ryan Court. He managed to make an appearance with the Mariners this year. Did fairly well. Uh, 2015, he was there. Jose Sermo uh, gets the third base nod. He was also player of the year, I believe, in 2018 in the American Association. 2018-2019 uh, for him. Nate Sampson in at shortstop, 2014, and then 2016 through 19. Uh, outfield, Michael Lang. Peter Barrows and Tony Campana. Uh, Lang and Barrows have been there a while. Lang, 2012 to 2019. So he definitely earns his spot on there. Uh, Burrows, 12 to 14. And Campana's only 17. Uh, pitchers, starters would be Patrick Johnson, 14 to 15. Taylor Jordan, 18 to 19. Another good guy. He got his contract purchased. He was a solid pitcher in 18. And Ryan Zimmerman, not the, uh, not the Nationals player. And he was there 2015-16. Relievers, uh, Chris Chris Bodishberg, 2012-2015. And Rob Wart, 14-16. to 
If you're a Sioux City fan, those names mean something to you. If you're, I suppose, if you're an association fan, those names mean something to you. Right. If you're on the coast such as us, those names don't hold much weight. Nope. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'd like to, you know, give a comment on it and say, you know, this guy's on there. I would like to see this guy on there, but I don't, uh, I don't have anything to say on this one. This was most, one of those typical, uh, off season stories that if you listened in when we first started the show in February and March, this is what we were talking about because there is absolutely nothing at all to cover, which is why we are pleading with you. Please, any suggestions you have for episodes, even if they're like kind of an anthology thing where it's what would a ultimate indie league look like where you combine all the teams into one league? Anything even remotely close to not talking about the Sioux City All-Decade team would be greatly appreciated. Social media, you can email us. All this information is available. Please. Tweet us. <laughs> Anything. We like. I hate having to do stories like this. No offense to the Sioux City Decade team here. I mean, congratulations to all of them. They made it. And, I mean, a lot of guys played for Sioux City in that time. And they're the ones who get recognized. But, man, just for a lot of listeners, it's not really that enthralling. enthralling, And it certainly isn't for us, to be honest. Now, if it was Somerset or an Atlantic League or Frontier League or anything like this that we actually know the teams, I'm sure it would be a lot more enthralling. But of course. But. It just, uh, man, it's not... Uh, yep, so moving on. Moving on, Winnipeg, Field of Dreams. This one I probably could have left out, but because of the charity thing, I figured what the hell, I'll toss it in there. Uh, basically, the Field of Dreams was started by Winnipeg back in the 90s when they first kind of came into being. What they do is, throughout the season, they'll collect money through donations, and then at the end of the year, they'll donate it to a children's charity in Manitoba, uh, obviously the home of Winnipeg. And people will submit charities to the Golden Eyes through a form and application process and the whole nine there. Basically, they'll make a decision out out of it for whom gets the money. Uh, it's a good thing for charity. So if you run a children's charity in Manitoba or you know of a charity that's based out of Manitoba, uh, throw in a, I suppose, an application for that. We'll link it in the, in the show notes, which are on the website. You also have until the 16th of December to get those applications in. So not too much of a rush, but don't drag your feet on it. All right. So we're going to finish with the, or not finish with, but we're going to be done with like the last, the really, truly peak off season stories here, which is on the level of the radio deals we were talking about. Yeah. That poor Southern Illinois partnership. They have a partnership with the fast pitch softball team, part of the MPF national pro fast pitch. The Canadian wind made up of entirely Canadian players that actually qualify for the Olympics in 2020. So congrats to them. Congrats. Yep. Uh, they'll have a partnership with them. They're going to share rent one park. Uh, they'll play on days where obviously the minors aren't playing. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all there is to it. I believe if you buy minor season tickets, you also get season tickets to see the Canadian win, Ooh. which could be interesting. I mean, could they're be. Olympic athletes. So that how often do you get to see Olympic athletes play? It's true. You're not very often. Exactly. So, well, I mean, depending, but yeah. I mean, like, yeah. Still, something I figure throw out there. Yeah, the it's a good one to throw out there. I like that one. Exactly. Saw a 30 second off season story. Oh, yeah. We'll go now to the fun, to the more of the fun ones, I suppose. Martinez may be getting another team. Now, if you remember from way back when we were talking about Karpov and <laughs> oh, how boy. he got raided by the FBI and that whole situation, if you want to hear more about that, go back to the archives, probably like episode six, seven, probably around Something there. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, you can look through it and find it. Martinez lost their team in the Pacific Association. Nothing much came of it. They tried to get something going, but that was really more lip service than anything else. Yep. However, 
Martinez is trying to get another, another team back. We Ooh. don't we don't know who the owner is going to be. They play in the same ballpark, nearly identical conditions, minus you know the bad ownership situation, and they'll be called the Mackerel and play Ooh. in the Pecos League. So I think the Pecos League will probably help them out more. Granted, uh, it's the Pecos League. However, you know, look at a team back, which is good for them. It's good for Martinez, there's no doubt. Uh, definitely a really interesting th- time for Martinez. If you're a, you were a Clippers fan, you can now, uh, kind of get your hopes up that maybe, perhaps, you may be a Mackerels fan in the coming, uh, months, you know, yep. and we'll see what happens. Yep. Uh, there'll be a vote held in December to get a whole memorandum of understanding and that whole process going on it and kind of get the ball rolling. There's a lot fewer hoops to jump through than, you know, getting Gastonia through because, you know, major different situations here. Yeah. But uh, if you want kind of a general overview on how that works, go back to any of the episodes we talked about Gastonia. I want to say like episode 27, 28. I want to say 28. Yeah, I want to say 28. Right around there, there's a deep dive into it when they held the whole meetings and whatnot about it. But if you go back to some point in the late 20s, I believe it is. Uh, we kind of do a whole dive on the whole process of getting a team through and what everything means and whatnot. But uh, yeah, so they got to get that through. Okay, so that's Martinez's deal. Then the final thing here in the way of stories, at least, uh, Boss Field's going to be getting some upgrades. It's in Evansville, Indiana, home of the Otters. Fun fact for you, the movie League of Their Own was shot there. Ooh. So that, that's a kind of a cool thing. It's uh, over a 100-year-old stadium. was built in 1915, so... It's going to be about 105 years old, so no spring chicken of a stadium. And nope. as you could imagine, uh, stadiums that old tend to have issues. Uh, in this particular case, it needs a roof. It has very out-of-date electrical work. The scoreboard doesn't really work anymore. A lot of broken seats. Yeah, the lighting's not very good. So other than that, it's pristine. Yes, yeah, outside of that, it's very good. Very wonderful shape. All right, beautiful. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so obviously a, a long, perhaps a long overdue yep. renovations. However, oh, however, these aren't quite done yet. Talking it through to get approval to negotiate a contract with Energy Systems Group, which will do the renovation work. How will this be funded? Fair question to ask, because these renovations will cost about four to five million dollars. Not cheap, but when you put off a lot of this stuff, you know, it's going to be expected. It's going to run up a tab. Plus, it's a 105 year old ballpark. There's certain things you have to do. That you wouldn't have to do with a normal ballpark. Yep. To be more careful with it so that way it doesn't come crumbling down like House of Cards. Yes. Um, in any case, uh, this will be done through a $0.05 cent tax per $100. So every $100 you spend, 5 goes on to it. That would go into historical restoration funds. That would be used for like the amphitheater in town, a couple of old theaters, Boss Field. That would probably raise about uh, $300,000 a year. So that would be a good start. Some of these things could get done if everything goes according to plan. We could see some work done by 2020, so the opening of the season. Most of this being done in two to three years. So Yeah, no, I think it's that's a good thing. I love to hear when these older stadiums are renovated and not being torn down. I think that's a good thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it has, holds a lot of baseball history, especially, uh, like you said, kind of hosting that movie, uh, being the site for that movie was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great film as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really cool, the little piece of hit baseball history that is being res- uh, preserved there. Yep. So that's all there really is to be uh, put forward there. We're going to wait and see on that one. Hopefully that gets through. And the McCoy of the Midwest is not torn down. Yeah, that's that's a good good way to look at it. The McCoy yeah. of the Midwest, I like that. I think holding off on the thing that I teased last week, 
would be good. We'll tease it again. Exactly. So we'll tease it again. However, we'll tell you about it next week. We'll actually go through with it unless, you know, something groundbreaking happens. Uh, let me tell you about what this actually is about. And then hopefully we can actually get your input on it. So I had an idea about a week or so ago of what are some crazy rules that you could see in the Atlantic League coming up? What this whole segment's going to be, or what's going to be next week, mm-hmm. is each of us have a couple of rule changes that we saw, either online or that we thought of, and we said, you know what, I can see the Atlantic League doing this for better or worse. So these may be involving, you know, how the game's played, just how the viewership of the game is going, anything that you could reasonably expect to see as a rule change in the Atlantic League. And seeing as moving the mountains on the table... There's really nothing that's off the table. Yep. So next week, you're going to see a whole segment where I know I have about four. I may try to get another one. They'll get up to five changes I'd either like to see or could see happening in the Atlantic League next year. Uh, I'm sure my lovely co-host over here will do the same. Yeah, I've got I've got a bunch uh, ready to go right now, but I'll even have, I have like three, uh, three or four. And then next week, like I said, we'll, we'll try to get to five. So this way, that's yeah. a nice even uh, kind of e- even between the two of us. But yeah, so I think uh, there's a couple of things. I have some really serious ones that I want to see from like, a well, not really serious, mm-hmm. but serious ones that I want to see from a, a player safety perspective and maybe mm. a fan safety perspective uh to tease that a little bit and then some fun ones like you're saying if we're yeah. gonna move the mountain back we can do anything so uh then we'll have some really fun ones uh as well perhaps that might have to do with a little tease little, little stadium regulations Ooh, i i think i know where that's going and i'm very interested about that yeah i got a couple that really they're the kind of thing that you'll see a lot of people complain about it's a <laughs> lot about pitchers and defensive subs and things like that so it's really more how the game's played. I think most of these are, at least to an extent, realistic. At least realistic in at least the uh, the terms of the Atlantic League. So that's a positive thing. I think we don't want to go something crazy off the board. You know, like put a section of the outfield wall where if you bang it off, it, it counts as five runs. You know, I'm not thinking we want or, to do that one. Or make it so like in gym class where you go ahead and you can <laughs> stack runners on a base. Yeah, I think I think that's perfectly reasonable and rational. Look, I'm just going to put nine guys on one base and then pinch hit for a guy and just let my best hitter go for it. Hit a 10-run home run. Why not? That's what I want. That's what I want to see. That's how you increase offense. That's the offense I want to see. <laughs> but yeah, no, so you'll see a bunch of crazy stuff like that next week. If you have ideas for this segment, submit them. They don't count as a question for the Q&A. So if you have a rule you'd like to see, we'll toss it in there. We'll talk about it. Why not? And uh, yeah. That's about the preview for the whole segment there. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. Hopefully there won't be uh, too much uh, off-season excitement to wade through. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we can kind of uh, wrap this up now and kind of get out of here. Yep. So just one last point for me. Make sure you get your questions in. That'll really help us to kind of get going and really move forward in our uh, kind of advancement and getting everybody's uh together and really understanding what this community wants uh to hear about and what people want uh, uh us to talk about in regard to independent league baseball or rule changes or anything like that and definitely like you were saying reach out to us we definitely want to hear uh what your potential rule changes would be instagram twitter the whole thing and i almost forgot i'm gonna have to i gotta plug something really quickly Ooh, drum roll you may have seen on our YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube, 
we started a new series called Indie Ball Outtakes. There may even be something from this episode. I don't really know. I don't know until I start editing it. But basically, that whole segment, our series, is there's a lot of times we go way off the rails on the show, as I'm sure you know. And <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense in the context of the show or just screws with the flow of it. But it's just so good, I feel bad cutting it. So I decide, well, don't just cut it. Upload it to something else. So basically now you're going to see some really cool off-the-rail stuff that before we would have cut, that's going to be uploaded onto YouTube. Maybe go to Instagram TV, but I don't like using that. It's a pain. Go over to the YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. Take a look at the first episode. It revolves around our favorite colonial hero, General Admission, which I know, Somerset, you liked the tweet, and then I know your little meme attempt there. We saw it. I know that was directed at us. That is not fun to play with our emotions like that. I thought he was coming back. I cried for 15 minutes. I saw I was like, oh? And that's like, God, they're playing with me. 15 minutes. That's why I cried for 15 minutes. You made this child cry for 15 minutes. <laughs> Any case, continuing with the plugs, all of the stuff that we mentioned, articles, um, show notes, outtakes, videos, anything. That is all on the website, www.indieballreport.com. You can find the show wherever podcasts are available. Apparently, we're on Google Play now. Go go listen to it on Google Play. Words getting around. Google Play, they're just like, all right, come on, guys, yeah. you're in. And I tried submitting it like five different times. Every time I was like, ah, no, it's not good. I guess they just went through and it just didn't tell me or something. I don't really know. I'm not going to complain. It's on Google Play now, so we're available on all major podcasts, or podcatchers, rather, and I assume the minor ones as well. So wherever you can get podcasts, get it there. Be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe for more content. It helps the channel grow, helps us do fun things. You know the whole shtick. So that's that. And I'm not sure what else we got to really plug. Uh, make sure you get your questions in by 12 o'clock, December 6th. You have two weeks to continue to get the questions. We have about 15 or so right now. However, I'd like to see that keep growing Ideally, target number is 25. You get to 25, that means we could spend a lot of time on some and just quickly move through some of the other simpler questions. Anything is on the table, as long as it relates to either us, the show, or independent league baseball, we'll try to do our best to get them in. If they do require a lot of research, though, sooner is better. If you submit a giant question going, what's the management structure of Gastonia going to look like and who's going to be running the show? I got news for you. I can't get that information if you're telling me at, like, December 5th. That's kind of going to be a tough sell. I kind of need to know that, like, a week ago. But, you know, I could probably get you something if you submit it now. Yeah, so with big questions, like he's saying, sooner is better. Exactly. Or don't expect a comprehensive answer because, I mean, it's one thing if you go and you send me a question like, that's more of an opinion. If you send us an opinion question on the 6th, it's not a problem because it's an opinion. But if it's one that requires digging, it's going to be a bit of a problem because, I mean, while our sources are great, they're not revolving around our schedule. Yeah. They get back to us when they get back to us. And, I mean, if you want official information from the league, too, it takes them a couple hours to get back to us. Sooner is better with a lot of these questions, but December 6th is the cutoff because that's when it's going to be recorded. Noon is the absolute latest. So that is that. Make sure you get that in. Uh, Like I said... Indie Ball on Twitter, or Indie Ball Pod on Twitter, Indie Ball Report on Instagram, Indie Ball Podcast on YouTube, IndieBallReport.com, for where you can find all of that stuff, and we're on every major podcatcher now. So, 
be sure to like, rate, review, subscribe there. Anything else left to add? Nope, just get your questions in and have a good week. You're right. And like we end every show, don't forget to play all. Oh.